Well, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, I want to jump right into Scripture with you this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew's in the New Testament. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, listen, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen here. You can read along with us there. But I do want you to know that if you don't have a Bible today, uh, we would love to give one to you. We want to put one in your hands. We want you to have that. Stop at the hub today after service. We've got a Bible there. We'll give that to you as a gift. You get to keep that, okay? Now, Matthew wrote a gospel of Jesus. Uh, Matthew is, is sharing the good news that he's received with other people. And just as Nathan just said, we're about to see the ministry of Jesus turn in a new direction. He's, he's been trying to show people who he is, show people that he is the king. Now he's about to turn his attention. He's about to set his eyes toward Jerusalem and towards his ultimate death. But it starts out with Jesus making very sure that his disciples understand, after all this time they've had together, that they understand who Jesus really is. So let's start reading here in in chapter 16 in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus asks a pretty loaded question here to his followers. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And by asking the question he's asking, he's really asking his disciples, Who are other people saying is the Messiah? And these people people of Israel, the Israelite people, they've been told of this Savior. They've been told to expect a Savior, one who would come and rescue them from the world. For hundreds of years, Israelite parents had told their children of this Messiah. And it's intriguing that Jesus uses this phrase, this term, son of man. That's one of the things that people use to describe the Messiah because other prophetic titles that went along with this, Messiah or son of David, David being historical Israelite king, those titles denoted military type of saviors. It would have invoked in the minds of these people, of his disciples, a call to physical response, right? A war, so to speak. Yet Jesus chooses son of man, for its ties to humanity, its connection to each person. Because they expected the Messiah to come as a conquering general, to come in and fight. But Jesus is going to show them, hey, there is another solution, a better solution to this world's brokenness. And the disciples lift off some names of some people who they thought were the Messiah, right? But then Jesus asks them, who do you say I am? Peter just jumps right in, right? Peter's just like, man, I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And the word he actually uses in Greek, the Greek word that he uses for Messiah is Christos. Christos, which literally is translated to mean anointed one. That's where we get the name Jesus Christ from. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. The reason they use this phrase is that back then when a king was crowned, their head was anointed with oil. It was a ceremonial thing that they did. And so by calling Jesus the Christ, they are acknowledging that Jesus is the king of their lives. He is the one whom they worship. And I think they gave themselves over to him. Following Jesus calls for my surrender. That's our big idea for today. Because we will probably all call Jesus something if we know who he is. He is something to each of us. And we're going to be asked either by our family or our friends or our co-workers or our neighbors or our enemies, right? Even God himself will ask us someday, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you call him prophet? Do you just call him a historical figure? Would you call him a friend? Maybe you don't call him anything. Maybe right now Jesus really isn't anything to you. You don't know Jesus. Or maybe like Peter in this passage, do you acknowledge that Jesus is your king? And Jesus acknowledges that this proclamation that Peter makes, that this understanding is not coming out of the sinfulness of this broken world, but it comes from a holy place. It comes from a deep surrender to the kingship of Jesus. The world will say to us, listen, you can admire Jesus, but you don't need to bow before him. And Jesus is saying to us, To worship me is the only response. See how he tells Peter, hey, I'm going to honor you. And then he, he recognizes that only Jesus, right? Only I, he says, can offer you the keys to the kingdom. I love this so much. Jesus says, only by surrendering to me can you truly be part of the kingdom I offer. Only through me. My ways are the ways that lead to freedom. Following Jesus calls for my surrender. But right after they have this amazing moment, Jesus switches gears, and he challenges this image that they have of him. Look at this in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This was a challenge point for the disciples, right? Remember, he's just assured their belief that he is the king, right? That he is the Messiah. And for these people, like Peter, right, they had this expectation of the Messiah. The Messiah was meant to save. 
to come and defeat evil, to, to save them from oppression, to return them to their former glory. Yet Jesus says that he's got to go and suffer and then he must die. And that word must is a very important word here. Must means that this is a necessity. It's not just a prophecy. Like Jesus could have said, well, hey, I will suffer and I will die. Jesus is saying, I must. There's a choice here. There is, there is an other option. There is no other option, he's saying. He's choosing to take this path. And that's why Peter rebukes him. He's heard the prophecies of this Messiah, right? He wants Jesus to be the conquering king. He wants to have the power brought back to Israel. And we do this in our lives too. We want Jesus to be our, our personal savior for our needs. We want him to care about the rules and traditions that we think are important. We want that power back in those things. We want him to deal with our causes. We want him to come and speak against the things that we don't think are right in this world. We want Jesus to give us the things that we desire in our lives. But what Jesus says to us is the same thing he said to his disciples. I must die. So why does Jesus make this choice? I think I see three reasons why that happens. There's a personal necessity here for each of us. See, love is a reason that Jesus must go to the cross. And not the love that you might know and understand. There was a book written in 1977 by a guy named William Vanstone called Love's Endeavors, Love's Expense. And in this book, Vanstone talks about love being one of two types of love. False love and true love. I think we all can know and understand what both look like, okay? False love is only about yourself. It's about having your needs met. You love, we love, as long as it makes us happy, right? That type of love is conditional. And in this love, we often will hold back um, love and, and we'll hold back affection because, why? Because we are waiting to cut our losses when it's necessary. We say things like, make me happy, meet my needs, I want to feel good, I want to get pleasure, and when I don't, I'm out. I think we can all picture this type of relationship, right? With a spouse, maybe, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, maybe a friend. Maybe it's not even with a person, right? We can have this type of relationship with things, with our job, right? Like as long as I'm happy in my career, I'm good. I love it. As long as my, my, my schooling is going well, I love going to school. I love being around that. As long as my things keep me happy, I want them in my life. But then there's true love. Vanstone talks about true love. He says, true love says we spend and use ourselves for someone else's happiness. That's unconditional love. This type of love is given regardless of how your needs are met, right? 
This type of love is most vulnerable because it is the love that gives everything away without a need for it to be given back. This is much of what parents feel with a newborn, okay? There is no return of affection there. Simply love coming from one direction. Here's the catch that Van Stone points out in his book. None of us can fully give true love. All of our love, regardless of how we think we love, is somewhat false. We can't live without love that affirms or gives back to us, which makes our love conditional. We may be really close to true love, but there is always a part of our love that is selfish. And that is because of the broken, sinful nature of this world. We are all grasping for true love, but we are incapable of giving it. And so the reason why Jesus must die is a necessity of true love. Jesus gives us that love. He chooses to take the cross without any desire for a return of affection. He loves unconditionally. He gives fully with no request for reciprocation. And when Jesus does that, he frees us to do the same. Hear me out. Listen to this. You see, we may need love and affirmation in this world. And Jesus gives it to us. See, we don't have to. When we realize that, and we realize that Jesus is giving us love freely and openly, and we have that, we don't have to look for that in everyone else. We don't have to look for that in our family or in our work or in our friends. And when we are freed from that requirement, when we are freed from that need to feel like we have to be fulfilled by another person in this world, then we then get the ability to love them fully without a need for getting something back. We can give ourselves out in love. Following Jesus calls for my surrender. Surrender to the things, the, the, the needs that this world says. The second necessity that I see here is a legal necessity. A legal necessity there is a wrong in this world. There is a debt that must be avenged or paid. See, when you take a loan, a student loan, a car loan, a mortgage, right? When you take a loan from a lending institution, it's got to be paid back. It, it, it must be paid back. And if not, one of two things happen. You get punished. Something happens to you. You have to figure out. They, they start taking from your wages. You it affects your credit, you have to do something, or the bank has to forgive the loan. Much like that debt owed, we have sinned in this world. We have messed up, and it must be paid. See, God would not be just if these things were not owed. And yet, Jesus says, I will forgive that debt. And at first glance, that seems great, right? Like, we got to go back and look at what the debt means, though. Listen, if someone owes you money, right? If someone owes you 100 bucks, 
and you choose to say, I forgive it, you know what? You don't have to pay me back. Does that remove the cost? No, it doesn't remove the cost. The cost is still there. What has happened is you have now paid the cost. You have lost out. You have taken that cost on personally. In cases where we've been wronged in life, right, not a financial one necessarily, but we've been wronged by someone, hurt by someone in our lives, we have two choices. We can either make them pay, right? We can make them pay through retribution, through running down their, who they are, by talking about them, by being cruel to them, by, by holding anger in our heart toward them. We can make them pay or we can forgive the wrong. And see, choosing to make them pay ends up making us look for retribution, right? It leads us to becoming colder. It leads us to becoming more hardened. In that scenario, evil wins. Only forgiveness breaks the cycle. When we choose to forgive a wrong, then we are saying, I'm just going to suffer the loss. That's what Jesus did. You see, forgiveness always requires suffering. Either financial or emotional, sometimes physical. When we choose to take the cost on ourselves, we suffer in some way. Yet that's the only way to let the cycle of anger and pain end. See, when Jesus took this punishment... He chose to suffer for our sins. Jesus must suffer. The final reason this is needed is one of a cosmic necessity. When Jesus went to die, it had to be the cross. And I know sometimes I think, why couldn't it have been some other way? Why couldn't Jesus have died in another way, in, in another fashion? Because hear me. Jesus' death had to be paid in blood. See, blood in the days of Jesus symbolized either a life that was given or taken in sacrifice. It signified the most extreme price paid. And Jesus had to be sacrificed using the systems of this world, okay? Because the systems of justice of this world are broken and corrupt. We have surrendered to these corrupt ideas, ideas like the powerful win, the popular are treated more fairly, the rich are the elite, the attractive get more attention. We've relied on broken systems to give us justice. Jesus went and broke these systems. He turned the values of this world on their head. Instead of seeking power, he gave power away. And he faced one of the most powerful systems that this world has, death. You see, for all of us, death is a fear. It's an ultimate fear for for a lot of us. You ever said the phrase, well, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I could die, right? People in power often use death as a fear to gain control. Either they tell you, if you don't do what I'm saying, you will die, 
Or they say, if you, if you don't come along with me, then death is inevitable. Jesus said, I've taken the very worst thing that you could ever imagine, and I've made it the best. If you die and you have my forgiveness, then you get to spend eternity in the kingdom. Peter said it, I'm sorry, Paul said it so well when he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. He said this, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he's saying. That is good news for all of us. Over the last two months, we've been talking over and over again about the good news and how the gospel message is for everyone. And today, as we read about how Peter makes this bold proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, we want to be able to help you tell people about the good news of Jesus too. We want to share with you something that I think will help you share this with other people. A simple illustration. You probably wonder, why is this whiteboard up here? I don't know. I just felt like having it up here. I'm just kidding. And, and when you came in this morning, you saw papers on your seats. I'd encourage you to get those out right now and the pen that was with them. You can take this. I want you to follow along with me. I want you to fill this out. I want to give you a simple illustration that will help you share the good news message of Jesus with others. And today when you're done, I just will also ask just one thing that I want you to do. When you're done, leave your pen on your seat when you leave today so that our next service has a pen and they're able to, to fill this out as well. But I want to encourage that you to draw this out with me. I'm going to put a few things up here because I think, and if you can't see the board from where you're sitting, listen, guys, I'm going to be on the screen here in, in bright, there I am, in vibrant living color. Um, but, we're going to, but I want you to know, when we look around this world that we live in, right? This is the world we live in. When we look around this world and we see things on social media or in the news, we read about wars and famines and we read about death and, and, and people are dealing with afflictions of things like cancer and, and people are dealing with broken relationships and, and hatred and just terrible things. What we know about this world, we know that this world is broken. It's a broken world. We, that's the type of world we live in. We, we experience that brokenness in our lives. I think you all know what I'm talking about. And yet, even in the midst of this brokenness, even in the midst of this, we get to see glimpses of God's beauty, right? And we experience those through all kinds of different things, like a laughter of a child, right? Through the sunset or a sunrise, through nature, through the beauty of things that God created. And the reason we experience that the reason we see some of this love and some of these relationships that, that point back to God's design is because he created, he had a vision for the world that was different. He created the world to be perfect. When we lived in love with God, it was a perfect world. 
We didn't experience the pain and brokenness when we were here, when we lived in this place. But the first people who came, Adam and Eve, they chose to go their own way. They chose to sin, which then led them and put them in the brokenness, in the broken world. See, God had designed it perfect, but they chose to do their own thing, to live outside of the way God had designed. And, 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 and what happens is, is we don't like being in the brokenness, do we? We don't like living here. We don't like experiencing the pain in the broken world. So we do things that we hope will get us out of brokenness. We put our focus on our career, maybe, right? We put our focus on our family to try to escape this brokenness. Maybe we, we say, hey, if I follow all the rules and, 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 I'm, a, and I'm a good Christian, that'll get me out of the brokenness of this world, And these are not necessarily bad things, right? But then sometimes we use some things to try to get out of the brokenness, things like addictions to alcohol or drugs or pornography, right? We use sexual relationships to try to escape from the brokenness of this world. Some of us might even say, I, I want to get out of this broken world and, I, and I, I try to take my own life. We say all these things will... Well, maybe this will get me out of the brokenness. And yet all of these things that we try to do on our own, they pull us right back in like a bungee cord. We still live in the broken world. And God knew that, and he knew we wanted out of this. He knew there was a better way, but he knew we couldn't get back on our own. We couldn't get back to the, to the perfect design. And so God sent Jesus into our world. He said, Jesus will come down and be one of you. He will live among you. He will live a, a life as a man, but he will live a perfect life, and then he will choose to take the cross for us. And he won't stay dead. On the third day, he will rise again. He knows that this is the only way. And he, what he says is that if we, because of what Jesus did for us, because of his sacrifice, you see, this comes without us having to do anything. This comes first. But if we would choose to bow down and worship Jesus, if we would choose to make Jesus our king, Remember, I'm going to call you back to our big idea for today. Following Jesus calls for my surrender. If, if we choose to surrender our lives to Jesus, then he will give us back into that perfect design that God had, into the full life that God offers to each and every one of us. He will remove us from the brokenness and put us in that perfect design. I got to ask you a question today. Where are you? Where are you in this design? 
Are you living in the brokenness? Are you looking at all these ways out of the brokenness? Are you trying to escape the brokenness of this world? Or are you living in the the full life that Jesus offered to you? Because if you're living in the brokenness, listen to me, hear me, we want to talk to you. We want to be able to pray with you. Today, during our song here in a little bit, we're going to have people down front here to pray with you. We want to pray with you. If you're ready to say, I'm ready to surrender my life in worship because of what Jesus did for me, I'm ready to take that step. We're ready to talk to you. We're ready to share. We're ready to pray with you. We're ready to help you take that step of obedience and be baptized. Maybe you're living here. And hear me, guys, we can, we can be here and end up back over here. Just because you've given your life to Jesus doesn't mean we aren't going to feel the brokenness of this world. But what happens is we have to continually surrender our lives every single day to Jesus to bring us back here. It's a perpetual thing that just keeps going. Don't stay in this place. Move. Because, because here's what it is. You may be here. You may not be in the brokenness anymore. But the reality is Jesus says to us, listen, He says to us, you need to grow, you need to do this, you need to connect to me and worship me, but you need to go. You need to share this with someone else. This is what we created this for you, right? We gave this to you so that you could use this to share this story with someone else, to be able to say, hey, let me tell you the good news of Jesus and what it means and how it's impacted my life. I would tell you, put your story in here. Put your own personal story in here. Share how you were broken and you dealt with this pain and how Jesus, when you gave yourself over to the sacrifice he made, how he put you back into the place, into God's perfect design. That's why we gave you these cards, to fill those out and have this. Let me encourage you to to make a life-changing commitment to share this good news with one other person in your life. After Jesus and his disciples had that interaction where Peter acknowledges his kingship, right? And they knew he was. See, Jesus called them to take it a step further. I want you to look back at Matthew 16 here in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. And when you read this, you might be thinking what the disciples thought. Why do I have to give up my life? We sometimes misread this and think it's simply about a physical sacrifice, right? But the word Jesus uses here for life is actually this word psyche, right? It's a Greek word. It means, it's where we get the word psychology from. What it is literally referring to is our identity our personality, our selfhood. It's all about that. Jesus is calling us to lose ourselves to him. Following Jesus calls for my surrender. And when he says lose yourself, he's not necessarily saying just lose everything about who you are. He isn't saying become a mindless follower. Truthfully, we do that enough with the things of this world. 
What he's saying is don't build your identity on the things of this world. Don't build it in your relationships with others, in your sexuality, in your careers. Don't build this in our successes or failures. Don't build it in your ability to follow the rules. Jesus says, come and worship me. Come and follow me. Remember, Jesus is a king, but he's not just a king on a throne. He's a king on a cross. We are called to submit to him, to surrender to him, not because we have to do it out of duty. We're called to surrender to him because we love him so much for what he did, and we appreciate what he did, that we want to work towards being more like him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you went to the cross for us. You chose to die because you said you must. That you must die for us. And Lord, it's everything I can do just not to be heartbroken to realize that you must die for me. Why me, Lord? You tell us because you love us so much that you wanted to make a way for us. Don't let us forget that today, Lord. Don't let us keep that news to ourselves. Remind us to share that with everybody. Lord, I know there are people hurting here today. I know there are people who need to accept this love, Lord. I pray that whatever's standing in their way, you will move out so that they can come forward and be lifted up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, listen, if you're ready to surrender to Jesus, after we take communion here, we're going to sing a song. And I want you to encourage you to come down and be prayed for. We're going to have our prayer team, our elders, some of them will be down here. If you need lifted up for something that's going on in your life, listen, don't be ashamed to come down. Don't be ashamed to say, I need the power of Jesus in my life. Don't be afraid to step out and say, I'm ready to surrender and worship Jesus as my king. Listen, we're waiting for you. Why don't you come down and pray with us?